Thank you for listening to a student ministry sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about the student ministry or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's student ministry sermon. Hey, good evening. Glad to be with you guys tonight. Uh, We are kind of wrapping up a great series on David and uh, looking forward to having a discussion tonight about how Jesus is revealed uh, through the life of David. But I need two volunteers that I've already identified. Sorry. And the two volunteers who don't want to do this, but they don't have a choice. I need Sydney French and Levi French. Come on up. They're going to help me out for a second. I get to have this dad moment because I get to have both my kids on stage, which is pretty much awesome for me. Their favorite place to be. I can tell you, don't believe it or not, this one loves this moment. Don't act like you don't. Yes, you do. You love it. She does, doesn't she? She loves it. Um, so here's the deal. We're talking about prophecy, and one of the things we do is, we don't have, you guys can use a mic if you want. I don't care. Yes, you got to talk. i got to ask you a question. No, don't leave. Oh, that one. Okay, I thought you were leaving. Um, so anyway, we do these rites of passage trips with our kids. We don't have time to talk about it because we've got lots of other important things to discuss. But one of the trips is we take them on a bear hunt. Uh, and so we took Levi and Sydney separately when they were 13 on a bear hunt. Let's look at, I got a picture of Sydney oh, uh, no. that I want to throw up and let you guys see this. There she is. Ah, Dad. Dad. Um, so this is Sydney on her bear hunt. Uh, we hiked up that, that valley right there and kind of where you see the slope of the mountain coming down. That's kind of where we were camped, up, up around that area, that, that rock up there. So, Sid, I got a question for you. Do you know what's in this bag? Use your mic. Come on, you know how to do this. Is it the scope? It is the scope. I don't like well, I got a deep voice there. Wow. <laughs> it, is, it is the scope. All right, Sid, um, what is, have you used this some? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, what is the purpose of, of the spotting scope? To spot. Bears. Okay, well, yeah, okay. we can spot other things besides bears, but oh, yes, we heard right. that is accurate. Things far can you, away. Can you explain to everyone in the room how, how this works? Huh? You look in it, and it, and it zooms in. Yeah, pretty much. I love your excitement when it just zooms in. You get really, really bugged about that. So we basically set this here. You know, you kind of look through it like that, right? Okay, yeah. you got it? You understand how it works? You know all the stuff? So it makes things that are way far off seem a lot closer, right? Yes. Okay, Levi, question for you. When you're looking through the spotting scope, so do you remember the first time that you, we hiked up that valley, yep. okay, went up, cranked out like 12, 13 miles the first day? It's 15. Okay. Huh? 15 miles. All right. I was, I knew he'd correct it. So we, we moved up that valley 15 miles in a day, and remember what happened as soon as we got there? Well, that's why I was saying because we saw the bear. Saw a bear as soon as we got there. Yeah. And you remember getting the scope out, spotting scope? Yeah. Okay. And then... When you look at that spotting scope, kind of explain like the purpose of it, what you do. Explain, give us a setting of what was going on. Well, when you hike out, like it's all the way across the valley, so it's, the bear is probably like a mile and a half away. And so it just looks like a little tiny speck. It, you can't even tell it's an animal. It just looks like a little black dot on the side of the mountain. And so you look through your spotting scope to see if it is a bear or not. So the question that I got for you is, when you see something, this is kind of obvious, we know this, does it literally make that bear actually come closer? No. No, it doesn't do that. What it does is it changes your vision, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, can you get a completely accurate picture of what it is you're looking at? No. Like, it's not totally accurate. Like, for instance, you can kind of tell we climbed up a mountain, yeah. went up as fast as we could. And, and it turned out to be 
a sow, which is a female bear with three cubs. So yeah, so you couldn't shoot it. Couldn't All right. It. So you guys understand the principle. By the way, he's going to love this picture. Show the other picture of Levi just for fun. I love that, man. I was tiny. <laughs> you were tiny, man. You were tiny. Good grief. All right. Thank you for explaining a spotting scope. Now, what does that have to do? You can go now. Do you All probably right. want to stay? You're welcome to sit here for tonight. Don't act like you don't want to. Um, don't let Sid fool you. She, uh, she is, enjoys being on stage. So as we talk about this whole concept of prophecy, you probably wonder like, well, okay, what in the world does this have to do with anything? How do I understand it? Because we're going to dive into the life of David and we're going to look at this word and God's going to say something to David that you're going to look at it and say, well, that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And in fact, we're just going to read it. We'll start off with this. Uh, the text, and I've got it in my Bible, but I'm, I've got it written out here so I can go a little faster tonight. The text we're going to look at tonight comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7. And if you skip a ways into, into there, it's the, the God says this to David. So David, who has, you guys have studied him all spring. You know his story. I don't need to unpack his story with you. You've been talking about David. But God says this. David is nearing death. He's not going to be alive a whole lot longer. And here's what God says to him. He says, the Lord declares to you. And I don't know if it does up here. They may not have that scripture in there. But Lord is in all caps. And God's trying to say, I'm talking to you, David. David, listen, man. I want your attention. The Lord says to you. And then he goes on and God repeats himself. He says, the the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Okay, could establish a house for you. Now, you might be thinking like, okay, like how many square feet is it? How many bedrooms does it have? It's not that kind of house, okay? What he's talking about is like, he's going to establish like a family history for you. He's going to establish like this, this, this huge, you know, influence for you. And he goes, we'll establish a house for you. And he says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, in other words, when you die and they bury you, he says, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one that will build a house for my name. Right there, he's talking about his son. His son's name is Solomon. He's talking about Solomon right now. He says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. He will be my son. When he does wrong, and Solomon will do wrong, he says, I will punish him with a, with a rod wielded by men, with floggings afflicted by human hands, but my love will never be taken away from him, he says, as I took away from Saul, whom, whom I removed before you. And here's the kicker. This is the last sentence that I want you to listen to. This last little phrase that he says to David right now is so important because, because it affects you sitting here tonight. The last phrase that God says to, to David, however many thousands of years ago, it echoes through this room, it bounces off the sheetrock, it moves across the concrete, and even today in this moment, this last line still matters to you. You weren't there that day when, when this conversation happens with David, but it still matters to you. You may not realize it does, but it does. And here's what he says. He says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever and ever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So God made a promise to David, made a promise that he was going to establish his throne forever. It doesn't really look that way if you read the Old Testament. In fact, it looks like, like, well, God, did you not keep your promise? Because Solomon becomes his king, and I don't know how to say this politely, but Solomon is like this crazy womanizer. I mean, if there was a hashtag Me Too in Solomon's day, guilty as charged. Solomon is a messed up dude. Uh, and actually, he has this harem of wives that totally lead his heart away from God in some really devastating ways. And, and honestly, it, it's, it's actually, at the end of his life actually ends up being a little bit of a kind of a tragedy because God just kind of rebukes Solomon for how he's living. And so God wants to establish this amazing thing in David's life. And I want you to listen. God wanted to establish in David's life 
He won't continue this to his offspring. He won't continue this to his, his son because his son is wicked. But it's not just Solomon that's wicked. It doesn't end there. Every time that God wants to establish this, this promise that he's made, this, I mean, have you ever had somebody make a promise to you and they break it? Anybody ever done that to you? Okay. Girls, you ever had a guy that you're dating that might be in the room, maybe he is, maybe he isn't, and he promises that like he won't cheat on you and he does? You ever had that? Right now you want to point at him, call him out? Fellas, you ever had that? Let's turn the tables. Yeah, uh-huh. Can I get an amen on that? Or maybe your, your parents, they promised you that you were going to get an Xbox for Christmas and you didn't. I don't know. You may have had different promises made. We know this in life. Nobody likes a promise that's broken. Nobody likes it. In fact, one of the phrases that I've used, shh, shh, come on, hang with me. One of the phrases I've used with my kids when they were growing up is that, man, if I use the word I promise, uh, you know, and I don't think I can still do it again, but, you know, when they were little, I'd say, you know, dad always, they would, I would be able to repeat back to them. I'd say, hey, man, I made a promise to you. And what's that mean? And even when Levi or Sid little, well, dad always keeps his promises. Dad always keeps his promises. And, uh, and so always, I mean, I would move heaven and earth to keep a promise to my kids, do everything possible. So what's going on right now? God makes a promise to David that, man, I'm going to let your rule, your kingdom, I'm going to let your dominion last like forever, forever and ever and ever. It will never go away. And it's going to go on to your descendants. And then his first descendant is so jacked up that God's like, "Mm -mm. nope, not him. Solomon disobeys and God says the rule's not going to be established. Not going to be established with Solomon. So then it passes on and there's this refrain that happens all through the Old Testament. You'll find it in 1 Kings. It's, it's kind of a sad thing that happens. But you read this phrase over and over and over and over. The same thing happens. See, whenever, whenever Solomon, David's son, became king, David said this to his boy. So kind of like if I were to bring Levi up and I were to talk to him, this is what David says to his boy right before David dies. He says, be strong and show yourself a man. Whew. I think that's something that every father should say to a boy. Be strong and show yourself a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways, keep his decrees and his commands and his laws and his requirements. And he goes on, he says, son, listen to me. If your descendants watch how they live, remember that phrase, watch how they live. And if, if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart, they will never fail to have a man on the throne. Well, if you flip a few pages back, you start seeing these kings coming to power after, after Solomon dies. First guy comes to power. Well, Solomon, I told you his story. His wives led him astray. So another man comes on the throne, takes his place back here. You know, uh, his name is Jeroboam. And it says right here that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Strike two. And then at strike after strike, Judah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He was a new king. Another king comes up from the line of David. His name is Abijah. And he said, he committed all the sins of his father done before him. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. Well, you think, okay, well, maybe the next guy will get it together. It said, but, but God even said with this guy, he said, nevertheless, for David's sake, for David's sake, I, I'm going to keep my promise. So the next guy, another guy shows up. His name is Nadab. He said he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Then another guy shows up. His name is Basha. 
And he says, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Another guy comes up. His name is Elah. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Another guy comes up. His name is Zimri. And it says, because of the evil sins he had committed, he did, uh, oh, back up there. It says, uh, because of the sins he had committed, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. And it's literally page after page that it's Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord. It's Ahab did evil in the eyes of the Lord, more evil than anyone else before him. And here's the pattern, man. God makes a promise to David that he's going to establish his kingdom, but it's nothing but evil, 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 over and over and over again. And God just can't establish a kingdom in an evil heart. Now that's the part that should hit you between the eyes here in a minute. God can't establish a kingdom in an evil heart. He wants to do all the things he promised David. All the things he said he would do. But every decision of every child and grandchild and great-grandchild and great-great-great-grandchild and great-great-great-great-grandchild and all the way down the line, every single one of them turned their backs on God. And at that point, man, the kingdom feels like it's gone. The kingdom feels like, will it ever be established? I mean, God's promise now is hundreds and hundreds of years removed. Will his kingdom ever come to bear? Will the promise God made ever happen? David wrote these words in Psalm 89. God told him, he said, I will establish his line forever. His throne, as long as the heavens endure. Sounds like God's a liar at this point. If his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees, if they fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sin with a rod, their iniquity with flogging. But he says this, but I will not, even though he can't establish his kingdom, this is a beautiful thing he says, I will not, I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate the covenant or alter the lips, my, what my lips have uttered. And God said once for all, I have sworn in my holiness, and I will not lie to David, that his line will continue forever. His throne will endure like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, a faithful witness in the sky. So God has to begin this process of intervening. He's got to begin this process of interruption, and he starts laying the groundwork long, long, long before the solution ever arises. You find it in Ezekiel. I'm going to read three passages right now. In Ezekiel, it shows up, chapter 34. It says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend to them. He will be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and their servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Well, David's dead now. What's God talking about? He's saying he's going to send a shepherd. A shepherd. That a shepherd's coming, and if you remember early on, it's how we meet David. The very first time you guys met him, he's literally living out among, taking care of the sheep. They go through, they start looking for, for somebody to be the new king. They, they parade all these boys of Jesse up in front of, you know, Samuel the prophet. One's missing. Oh, it's David. He's the youngest. He's out in the fields because he is a shepherd. And God reminds him, I'm going to send a shepherd. Jeremiah puts it this way. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is right and just in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. Listen up, here it comes. The Lord, our righteous Savior. You've got to keep in mind, when these people are hearing this stuff from Jeremiah, 
They can't see what he's talking about. It's off in the distance, and they're trying to pick out, like, what's actually happening here? And every morning they would wake up wondering, well, who is this? Who is this that's going to replace David? Who is this person? But day after day went by because God's plans and God's kingdom was not established in the middle of a wicked heart. But a new day was coming. And I love this when Isaiah, chapter 9, it says this. For to us a child is born... To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding with justice and righteousness, and the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Man, if you've ever been here on a Sunday morning on December 25th or somewhere around that, if you've ever been here in any moment, you start getting inklings like, wait, 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 that sounds familiar. I think I've heard that before. You got to understand, this is being written way before Jesus has ever shown up in a manger. But Isaiah begins prophesying. He's looking through this, this spotting scope, and he says, I see something on the horizon, that it's not here, it's not yet, because everyone that could take that place lives in nothing but evil. And the, God, the kingdom of God cannot be established in an evil heart. But Isaiah says, man, I see something on the horizon, and I can't really tell what it is. But, it, but there's a wonderful counselor, there's a mighty God, there's a prince of peace, and I can kind of make him out, but I can't quite see exactly what it is. And then all of a sudden, Gabriel appears to Mary in Luke chapter 1. He says this, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called a son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And his kingdom will never end. Isaiah said this. He, he told a story of what was going to come. He told the story of a promise that had not yet been revealed. He told, it's kind of like when, when you're sitting there and you know that a present might be coming and you're kind of looking at the Christmas tree and you're looking at the shapes of the gifts and you're wondering like, is it here? Is it there? Is this going to be it? And every time you open one of those presents, you wonder, is this the one? Is this going to be it? And I don't know. I can still remember the day that my son, Justin, got one of these games and he broke out in the most ridiculous dance I have ever seen. I don't remember what the game was. You know what it was, Levi? What did he get? I don't know. Janet, my wife's not in here. He got some game and went crazy. Huh? It was Guitar Hero. Who dances for Guitar Hero anyway? But he went nuts over that, man. His life was like, ah, I got it. He was so pumped. Isaiah would have loved to have seen the day when he wrote this. He said, Isaiah 55, 1 through 3, says, come, listen, come all who are thirsty I don't mean you want a Gatorade or a water, but I don't know if you've ever been thirsty for like, like relationship, like hope. If you've ever found yourself like thirsting for like something more in your life. If you've ever found yourself living in a situation that's really difficult, and man, it would be like a cool drink of water to see the pain go away, the difficulty go away, to watch all the mess you're dealing with. Or maybe you're just living under stress and you know what it would feel like, man, if you could just... And Isaiah says, come all you're thirsty. Come to the waters, all who have no money. 
Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. I'm just going to give it to you. He says, it's going to be free. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor what doesn't satisfy? Listen, listen to me. Eat what is good. You'll delight in the richest fare. Give here, come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful promise to David. That's Isaiah right now. What's the big deal? Because Jesus says this about you and Jesus says this about me. One of the last things that Jesus ever said, one of the last recorded things we have from him comes from the last chapter of the book of Revelation. And this is what he says. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches, including Christ Church of Ornogo, including the students that in this room. This testimony he gives in Revelation, Jesus gives it to you. And this is what he says. I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the promise that God made. I'm the one who will rule the nations. I am the one who will sit on the throne forever. He says this, I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright morning star. The spirit of the bride said, come. And let the one who hears come. Let the one who is thirsty, like Isaiah said, come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, come. You know, David does this really cool thing. David has this welcoming spirit about him. It shows up in the, the book of 1 Samuel chapter two, 22, verse 2, and I hope you guys address this at some point. I don't know. But one of the things it says in that passage, it says that everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontent gathered to him, and he became captain over them. Everyone who was discontent, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was distressed came to him and he became captain over them. And in that moment, David took his power of protection, the power of who he was as a leader, the power of what he brought as someone who's got a kingdom established, and he put his umbrella, his power, his strength, he put his name over them. And in that, in that area, as captain over them, they found an oasis an oasis for the people who are distressed, who find themselves shut out in life, who find themselves marginalized, they rallied to David. For the people who had so much debt that they couldn't even pay it and they're gonna be killed, David said, come to me, I will be your protector. For the people who found themselves dis- discontent that they didn't have the relationships they wanted, the situation in life they wanted, David said, come to me. And Jesus is all the same. He tells you the same thing that David said, come to me. Those of you distressed, those of you discontent, those of you who feel like, man, you owe more than life than what you've got the ability to pay. Jesus says the same thing. Come to me. Come to me. I'm the root. I'm the offspring of David. I'm the bright morning star. I, I can give your soul something where you will never thirst again, man. I can quench every need you've got. I can set you free from your stress. I can set you free from your discontent. I can set you free from debt. I can set you free from all of this if you'll just come to me. Let me be your captain. Let me be your Lord. If you want to feel fully, fully, fully human, put yourself underneath the lordship, the, the captainship, if you will, of, of Jesus. The one whose reign will never, ever end. And my challenge to you is may you be people. When you see someone distressed, you say, I've got a place for you. Come on. 
When you see the discontent, you say, come on, there's a place for you. When you see the people who are dead and broke and hurting, you say, come on, I got a place for you. I want you to meet my captain. I want you to meet the leader in my life. The one promised thousands of years ago, revealed himself in a manger, allowed himself to die on a cross, resurrected from the dead, and his reign will never end. Governments will come and go. Nations will rise and fall. But his kingdom will never, ever, ever end. That's a beautiful thing. And may the discontent, the dissatisfied, and the debtors know, my family, we have a good captain. We have a good captain. None of us are perfect. But I've rallied to him. And I want to invite others to do the same. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for fulfilling a prophecy from long ago. We thank you that you tell us the same thing you said to David, that you've gone to prepare a place for us. You've gone, like you say in John chapter 3, you've gone to prepare a place for us in John chapter 14. Lord, you tell us that. And you tell us that if it wasn't so, you, you wouldn't have said it. And that you tell us that we know the way. And then, Lord, you tell us that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And God, in the same way you offer promises to David, you offer promises to us. And God, we grab hold of that with confidence, with boldness. We latch on, we grab hold, and we trust you. That in the same way you kept a promise to David, that a promise made will be a promise kept. Not only for him, but also for us. And we trust you in that. Amen. Thank you for listening to a student ministry sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about the student ministry or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.